Today on the Matt Wall Show, the NFL and NBA pretend to take a stand for social justice, but it's all an act. They have always run from every opportunity to help fight for real justice. So we'll talk about that. Also, five headlines, including Nancy Pelosi becoming the latest Democrat politician to break the lockdown rules, but it's okay because, you know, she's important. And in our five headlines, I'll cancel all of the white adherents to the critical race theory cult who are running around begging forgiveness for their inherent racism. I got a couple uh, pretty hilarious but sad examples of that to play for you. Um, that and plenty more to discuss on the show today. But first, a word from LifeLock. If you're on the internet every day, as I know you are because you're on it right now, then you leave yourself wide open to the bad guys who might want to get your information, steal it. Uh, this is especially a problem now with, in, with the increase in cyber learning. You know, it's really important, especially to protect your kids. And that's why you need LifeLock. You've got to make sure that uh, their personal information is safe, as there are risks involved, especially with using mobile devices. Remember, you know, a couple of tips here to review the security settings and privacy policies for any social media sites they use. And uh, caution against checking in with their apps to announce their location, like your apps are always asking you to do. Make sure they don't do that. And most of all, um, make sure they're not sharing any sensitive or personal information online, including anything that can help a cyber criminal steal their identity. Uh, listen, what it comes down to is this. Every day we put our information at risk on the internet. Um, and you could miss certain identity threats by just monitoring your credit. That's why there is LifeLock. Nobody can prevent all identity theft or, pro or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but you can find out if your information is on the dark web. Get your free dark web scan at lifelock.com Walsh. Pick the plan that's right for you, so it's up to you. You can save up to 25% off your first year. Uh, that's a free scan at lifelock.com Walsh and 25% off. Again, lifelock.com slash Walsh. Okay, so two months ago, Drew Brees was a superstar athlete who had managed to pull the rare trick of being famous, successful, and universally beloved. The latter being by far the most difficult feat of the three. But then the New Orleans Saints quarterback stated publicly and correctly that protesting during the anthem is disrespectful and that it's better to stand together and, quote, show unity. And this unleashed a torrent of criticism, which Breeze withstood courageously for all of 24 hours before folding like a beach chair and apologizing profusely for his defense of unity and patriotism. And these days, Breeze can be seen running around the practice field with the name of an accused rapist and serial abuser who was shot after assaulting police officers taped to his helmet. Um, his transformation from a beloved and admired sports star to a sad, capitulating, pathetic pawn is complete. Now... Drew Brees was once considered a, a face of the NFL, and by displaying this utter lack of moral fortitude and by rallying behind an accused domestic abuser and sex predator, he has proven that he still is a face of the NFL. The NFL, like the NBA, has many faces, and together they create a collage that forms the appearance of a gelatinous sea creature, something with very thin skin and no muscle and no spine. Um, in recent months, and especially since the shooting of Jacob Blake, both sports leagues have been engaged in all manner of publicity stunts designed to make them look like they care about racial justice. And of course, you know, fans of the WNBA would have seen similar theatrics if those fans, well, existed. Uh, but the Baltimore Ravens, just as an example, Baltimore Ravens issued a statement shortly after the Blake shooting, you know, a day or two later, declaring, despite a total lack of evidence and context, that the police officers are murderous racists. Now, it's interesting that the Ravens were far quicker in responding to the shooting of a guy in Wisconsin 
than they were in responding to their own player beating his wife in a hotel elevator. That was Ray Rice. You may remember that. And, you know, historically, the NFL has done an abysmal job of enacting justice within its own ranks, often allowing abusers to continue collecting game checks until public pressure forces them to take action. But, you know, suspending your own star players or expelling them from the league entirely is a real and meaningful measure that might cost them money and bring bad publicity. It's much easier to paint end racism onto the field, which is what they'll be, they'll be doing in every stadium this year, and allow your players to wear the names of alleged police brutality victims on their uniforms. Because these measures are performative, self-congratulatory, and achieve absolutely nothing of value. In other words, they're exactly what we've come to expect from the NFL. We've also come to expect them to steadfastly support abusive and violent men like Jacob Blake. It's what they've been doing, after all, for decades. Now, Seattle Seahawks coach Pete Carroll um, did his part uh, in the fight for truth and justice by appearing on Late Night with Seth Meyers wearing a shirt that said equality. Well, that'll do it. Later, he delivered what we're told by the media was a raw and impassioned speech about racism. You know, it's funny how these raw and impassioned speeches about racism always seem to be delivered exactly when raw and impassioned speeches about racism are what everyone expects and demands of you. But whether or not it was raw and impassioned, there was certainly nothing bold or brave or honest or important in Carroll's long lecture to his fellow white people. Bold, honest, brave, important. That would have been a call for the public to withhold judgment about police shootings until the facts are known. Um, if, he really if he really wanted to be brave, he would have come out fully in support of the police and patriotism and peace. But Pete Carroll is not a brave man. Uh, there are a few of those in the NFL these days. Now, the NFL may be a paper tiger when it comes to social justice, but they look downright ferocious compared to LeBron and friends over in the, in the NBA. Um, perhaps all that needs to be said about the NBA is that the players boycotted their games in response to the Blake shooting, a stupid reason to boycott, but at least they're putting their own money on the line, only to end the boycott and continue playing the very next day. The NBA has perfected the art of faux activism, winning fawning praise from the media while doing precisely nothing. The same theme emerges. You know, when the league and its members had a chance to take a meaningful stand for human rights, one that would have made a difference yet potentially cost them dearly, cost them billions of dollars even, they decided to ignore the human rights abuses in China in favor of continuing their lucrative business relationship with China's communist regime. Golden State Warriors coach Steve Kerr uh, rather famously curled into the fetal position and feigned ignorance when confronted about China's atrocities last year. Uh, when he was asked about it, he said that he's still, quote, trying to learn about the issue. Doesn't want to jump the gun and, and talk about it before he's learned. Yet the team published a statement on the Blake shooting within days, condemning the police department and passing their own summary verdict. It's strange that there was no time taken to learn in that case. To learn, for example, what actually happened and other minor details. Now, for his part, um, LeBron James is, is commenting publicly now on every high-profile shooting, but, but only the high-profile ones. His concern for violence against black men seems to extend only as far as the news cycle, coincidentally. LeBron has uh, repeatedly declared that he is scared as a black man in America and that black people are literally hunted every time they leave their comfort of their own homes. This, of course, is nonsense. J uh, LeBron James doesn't really believe that he's a liar, and it's dangerous nonsense, the sort of nonsense that burns cities. 
But LeBron will continue spraying gasoline into the inferno from the comfort of his NBA bubble or his Los Angeles mansion. America has given LeBron wealth, fame, power, and admiration beyond imagination. Like so many of his peers, though, he has a very funny way of saying thank you. So, in summary, these men and organizations are hypocrites and moral cowards. They give us the spectacle of big, strong athletes performing feats of strength and skill, sprinkled now with a healthy dose of social justice banner-waving. But on the inside, at the core of their characters, they are frail and pitiful. These are, most of all, men desperate for approval. If they're scared of anything, it isn't that racist white men are hunting them. It's that the checks might stop coming and the applause might cease. And this cushy life afforded to them by the country they despise might disappear. So they're never going to use their platform to defend true justice or speak real truth. Instead, they'll posture and earn their millions and cry into their piles of money about the oppression that they have made up in their heads. Let's get to five headlines. You know, when I first got married uh, and my, my wife uh, had to, she had, she had to briefly live in my bachelor pad apartment before we moved. Uh, God bless her. That couldn't have been easy. But, you know, one thing she noticed when she walked in is that the walls were completely bare, aside from the odd stain or two. Um, but that's because I didn't have any artwork on the walls. And it wasn't until I got married and I, you know, so you start having your own home and you realize you got to have some artwork on the walls. And that's where Paint Your Life comes in. I wish I'd known about Paint Your Life back then. If you want to give a truly meaningful gift, you've got to go to paintyourlife.com. Uh, get a professional hand-painted portrait created from any photo at a truly affordable price. You can choose from a team of world-class artists and work with them until every detail is perfect. Uh, User-friendly platforms let you order a custom-made hand-painted portrait in less than five minutes. So this whole process on your end is really quick, really easy, much more than you think it will be. Um, but on their end, they've got real artists working on this. And the other thing is it's hands-on for you throughout the process. So you, you, know, you get opportunity for feedback. Um, and they want to know, you know, they want to know if you like it and if, and if, and if they want to know what direction you want the painting to go. Um, and you know, it makes the perfect birthday anniversary or wedding gift, or it's just something you can get for yourself. Uh, that's what we did in my family. So at paintyourlife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, but you will love it. I'm telling you. And right now as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right. 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word Matt to 64,000. That's Matt to 64,000. Text Matt to 64,000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Okay. Nancy Pelosi is the latest Democrat politician to break the shutdown rules that she pushes and supports. Uh, and once again, like the mayor of Chicago, it's also that she can get her hair did, as the kids say, I think. Uh, here she is, Nancy, going to a hair salon, maskless, indoors, San Francisco, to get a blowout, whatever that is. Honestly, when I first heard that Nancy Pelosi was caught indoors for a blowout, I thought it was some kind of bathroom emergency. And at first I thought, well, okay, I'll, I'll give her that. I mean, you know, look, you got to do what you got to do. But uh, no, apparently it's uh, it's some sort of hair thing. So it's illegal right now in the city to get your hair done inside, especially maskless. But Nancy can do it because she's Nancy Pelosi. Now, the Pelosi camp has responded to the controversy. Their excuse, their excuse is something else. Their excuse is that she didn't know that what she was doing was wrong. Seriously, that's what they're saying. She didn't know. She didn't know about the rules that she has ceaselessly promoted and insisted upon. 
Uh, and that's absurd, obviously, but on, an, on another level, in, in, in a certain way, I almost believe it. I almost believe that Nancy Pelosi really didn't think she had done anything wrong, but not because she didn't know the rules, but because she really didn't think they applied to her. Now, Nancy Pelosi's been in Congress for 376 years, I think, so she's been in this bubble uh, not living a real human life for so long. It, it may just be that she really assumed that the, the rules didn't apply to her. I can almost imagine the conversation with one of her henchmen when they say, uh, you know, Speaker Pelosi, people are upset that you went in to that hair salon. What? Upset? What do you mean? Well, because it's, it's illegal and, you know, you've supported these laws and now you're doing what and people think it's hypocritical. No, wait, hang on a second. But I'm Nancy Pelosi. Did you explain that to them? No. Did you explain to them, I'm Nancy Pelosi? Do they know that? It's 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 me. I mean, that's, what, do you expect me to follow the same rules as the dirty, smelly, regular people? That's absurd. Um, and then she soothes herself by eating five cartons of ice cream from her $95,000 refrigerator. Uh, but whatever whatever the excuse is, this, this just really what it confirms, again, is that the people in government um, who've been fear-mongering about the virus and using it to control us don't believe what they're saying. All right, let's go to number two. The media right now is having a difficult time, uh, so prayers up for the media because they're they're having it's 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 a hard time for them. We've got these riots going on, uh, but the media can't decide if it should deny that the riots are happening or blame the riots on Donald Trump. That that's what it really comes down to. They can't figure it out, so they're kind of doing both at the mo- the moment. They're they're trying to split the difference, and that's why you have this headline from the New York Times. Uh, The headline is, as right-wing groups increasingly move to confront protesters in U.S. cities, demonstrators are assessing how to keep themselves safe. Uh, Yes, of course. Yes, that's what's happening here. Well, with a few few tweaks, this is a good headline. So I think it just needs to run through the editorial process a little bit more. Here's how I would adjust it. This is what I would say for the headline. As citizens increasingly decide that they don't want their houses and businesses burned down, arsonists are assessing how to continue their campaign of terrorism in a way that harms others, but not themselves. So, you know, very similar, but just some minor changes. Anyway, that's one strategy to say, yes, there's violence, but actually somehow it's all right-wingers, which raises the question, if right-wingers are causing all this violence at left-wing protests, why don't you ever see violence at right-wing protests? I mean, you never see it. You never see buildings getting burned down at right-wing protests. Do they save all of that for the left-wing protests? It's a pretty, pretty dastardly genius plan, if so, but somehow I doubt it. Uh, but then you also have um, the media at the same time claiming that the riots aren't happening at all, which gives rise to one of my new favorite genres of tweets where journalists in the nicer, more comfortable parts of riot-wracked towns take pictures and and videos of little plots of grass where nobody is being beaten unconscious or killed at the moment, and they offer it as proof that the riots are fiction. So here's Dan Zak, a journalist, two first names, so you know that you got to be on your guard with this guy, reporter for the Washington Post. And um, I mean, if if the last name's Zak, I don't think you name your kid Dan. Dan Zak. I don't know. I, I think if, you, if you've got the, a first name for a last name, then you've got to have a last name for a first name. I think that's the way that it works. The two first name thing 
It's creepy. Anyway, Dan Zach, uh, he, he uploaded a little video of some people sitting on the grass with the sarcastic caption, Washington, D.C. is simply out of control. You see, you get it? Because those six people there on the grass aren't murdering anybody right now. Therefore, there's no problem in D.C. Makes sense. And then Josh Campbell, CNN correspondent, shows us some grass in Portland with the caption, Good morning from wonderful Portland, where the city is not under siege and buildings are not burning to the ground. I also ate my breakfast burrito outside today and so far haven't been attacked by shadowy gangs of Antifa commandos. Oh, okay. So Josh had a burrito this morning and wasn't killed, which means logically that buildings are not burning down in Portland. Do you understand how that works? It's airtight. You know, speaking of which, look, I have this, uh, I, I have this here. I found this online. This is a satellite image of the Middle East. And as you can see, you know, there's nobody in this picture shooting anyone or blowing themselves up that we can see. So, yeah, looks real dangerous. All this stuff about the Middle East being dangerous. Well, what do you look? look you can see, look, you see Syria right there. Do you see anyone being executed by Islamic militants in that picture? Do you? And you know what else? Um, you've probably heard of the Hindenburg disaster. Supposedly, supposedly, allegedly, a German airship caught fire in 1937, killed like 36 people. Uh, that's what you heard. That's the story. But I can debunk that right now. So here's the picture. Um, but you know, wait, just sorry. Zoom in on not on, no, zoom in on the on the tip of the of the, the airship, the, the part that isn't on fire. So, there, you see, see that the ship didn't catch fire. You see, because that we, you can see right there that part of the ship that's not on fire, which means that the other part isn't either. The super scary Hindenburg disaster you've got there. <laughs> Debunked. I just did it myself. Uh, it's 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 easy to do. All right, number three. Here's a lovely sentiment from a, a former BLM organizer and current contributor to Medium. She says, um, this is a tweet she sent out. She says, I absolutely hate the smile that white people who don't know you give you walking down the street to let you know they're a sanctuary safe white. So no problem here. Just a woman who hates white people for smiling. Imagine being this angry. I mean, I'm angry, but she gives me a run for my money. I, even I don't get mad at people for smiling most of the time. But this, this, is, this is extreme, like, top-shelf, barrel-proof racism you're dealing with right here. Where she, she, is, she, she hates people of another race even when they're smiling. Not just even when they're smiling. She hates them for smiling. Uh, but this is a BLM organizer. And someone who feels perfectly comfortable expressing this out loud publicly on the internet with her own name and face attached to it, which should tell you something. Now, by the way, I checked out her bio on her website, um, and this will shock you. First of all, she describes herself as an award-winning poet, educator, author, activist, and journalist. And also, she appears to, to use the pronoun they. So both are shocking developments there. And on her Twitter account, her most recent retweet is from someone named Feminista Jones, a left-wing activist, apparently, verified account on Twitter, um, explicitly calling for and condoning violence against white people. Here's what, here's what the, uh, she says. Feminista Jones. Begging white people to support BLM and related work has diluted the integrity of true revolutionary work. I still don't get why folks were so focused on getting mainstream support when it only means the inevitable destruction of the movement. 
White, white people, no matter how liberal or progressive, will never endorse revolutionary acts that may jeopardize their children's lives. I wonder why. Um, and then she continues. Violence is the only way, of course. No votes, no marching, no spots on cable news, no high fashion magazine cover stories, no hashtags, no panels. None of that is going to bring about liberation that black folks deserve. Um, what if I told you that violence required that the violence required is liberating? What if I told you that there's no way for a dislocated, displaced African to truly live free without the complete destruction of whiteness's occupation of space in our minds, bodies, souls, communities, etc.? And it goes on for a while after that. Uh, this is an explicit, direct call for racial violence. And it's extremely common from the BLM crew. But somehow the violence is all Trump's fault. It's all instigated by right-wing militias or whatever. Meanwhile, you have BLM organizers over here saying, they're announcing it. They're saying, no, 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 guys, we're, we're violent. We, look, we're, we, we're violent. Look at us. We, we, we totally support violence. We are so into violence, everybody. They're literally shouting it into megaphones. And the media has their ears plugged, pretending they don't hear it. Okay, uh, number four, a quick one here. Headline from the New York Post. Uh, the headline is, nearly half of New Yorkers think NYC is headed in the wrong direction. Nearly half. Which again, you know, brings up another New York Post headline from 1912. Nearly half of Titanic passengers think ship is headed in the wrong direction. You know, in both cases, of course, um, the real headline is, is the other half. What, what the hell is the other half thinking? Five, finally, for our most important story of the day, I wanted to... Uh, um, I want to leave a little bit of time for this because this is this needs to be discussed and it's important. Uh, an athlete named David Rush in Idaho has just finally broken the record, and you know we've all been waiting for this moment. He's broken record for the the fastest time to move a cream-filled cookie from the forehead to the mouth. Um, now the record for other types of cookies still stands, and of course, the record for the fastest time to move a pancake from the forehead to the mouth has stood now, I think, for 2,000 years or something like that. Um, and, okay, let's, let's just play the footage. So we have the footage here. We can play it. Here is, again, this is David Rush um, performing this athletic feat. Let's watch this. Hey there, folks. It's David Rush on vacation in the Yellowstone National Park, entering the Guinness World Challenge this week. Had to find some off-brand cream-filled biscuits to attempt to break this Guinness World Record. Thanks to my son for the help. Three, two, one, go! Come on! Come on! All right, so we're using this kind. Chicken regular creamy sandwich cookies. Of course, that middle layer in there. I three, two, one, go. Eat it. Come on. Come on. Well, there you go. I mean, if we're not watching the NFL anymore, at least we have this. But with our luck, you know, this guy will start kneeling too and ruin it. But then I was, uh, UPI.com has the report on this story. I won't read the whole thing, except at the very end of their report, they say that, and they kind of bury the lead. They say uh, there was one participant who had a faster time. Now, David Rush did it at 8.8 .8 seconds. 
There's a, a, another person who actually broke the record, had a faster time, but his attempt was disqualified, which seems like a huge scandal. They, they don't tell us why he was disqualified. They just gloss over it. But now, you know, imagine you've trained your whole life for this moment. You've given everything to this goal. Your marriage fell apart. You're estranged from your children. You lost your job. You're homeless on the street, all because you're giving every second of your life to the goal of eating a cookie off of your own face. And then you do it and succeed and they disqualify you. Incredible tragedy. Triumph, tragedy, drama, joy, sorrow. Uh, that is the world of competitive, competitive, whatever the hell this is. We're going to get to our daily cancellation in just a second. But first, you know, as part of our Daily Wire audience, uh, there are a number of ways to take in the podcast. You may listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or, you know, another podcast app. You may also watch on uh, on YouTube or Facebook or dailywire.com. There are like a million ways to do it. Bottom line, we're making our content available to you anywhere you watch or listen. And now we're introducing a new upgraded experience. Daily Wire is now on Apple TV and Roku. So members can enjoy all of visual elements on this podcast on your big screen, either live or on demand. Find The Daily Wire on Apple TV or Roku and download today. You have to be an insider member to watch live. So Head on over to dailywire.com slash Walsh and use code watch, not Walsh, use code watch at checkout to get 50% off your memberships. Uh, this deal won't last long, so act fast. If you, wanna, if you want live shows on your big screen, plus the one-of-a-kind, highly coveted leftist tears tumblers, of course, then uh, you've got to go to dailywire.com slash Walsh to get 50% off with code watch. Walsh and watch and download the Daily Wire on your Apple TV and Roku today. Let's get to our daily cancellation. Now, today for our daily cancellation, we'll be canceling all white members of the critical race theory cult. Really, all members of all races should be canceled if they're in the cult. But today we're focusing on the white ones. Uh, two pieces of evidence to present. First, Rod Dreher uh, has the screenshot, apparently from a Northwestern University Law School uh, a town hall meeting they did online. And as Dreher describes it, the meeting started with a ritualistic denunciation of racism from all the participants. So really, it sounds like an, an AA meeting, uh, except with white guilt instead of alcoholism. Here's a screenshot. Uh, so you've got Emily who says, my name is Emily. I am a racist and a gatekeeper of white supremacy. I will work to be better. First of all, a gatekeeper of white supremacy sounds almost like she's a gargoyle or something that sits outside the palace and asks you a riddle if you want to enter. I am the white supremacy gatekeeper. Answer these three riddles and you shall pass. That's what it sounds like to me. That's what I think every time. Maybe it's just me. Um, anyway, then Sarah says, uh, thank you all so much. My name is Sarah and I'm a racist. I will try to be better. And James says, I'm James and I am a racist. Now, hang on a second. Why didn't he say he'd be better? Is he not going to try to be better? What are you saying, James? That's pretty disturbing. Well, actually, never mind. According to critical race theory, white people can't not be racist. So trying to be better seems futile. Uh, another recent example of this kind of thing, a report from the Daily Wire uh, tells us that closing an 11.30 a.m. Catholic Mass last Sunday in New York City, Pastor Kenneth Bowler asked Mass participants to join him in a racial justice prayer that acknowledged and denounced so-called white privilege as the church's streamed Mass panned to images of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery. Um, the Church of St. Francis Xavier, a Roman Catholic parish in the Jesuit tradition, of course. Damn Jesuits. Of course it's Jesuit. Every, every time, I'm telling you, Jesuits, uh, showcase the images of the alleged victims of racial injustice at the front of the church to the left side of the altar. Um, okay, so that, there's the story, but let's actually play. We have, we have video of the, of the racial justice prayer. Have your, 
vomit buckets ready as we check out this prayer. Watch. I now invite you to stand and join in us in the prayer for racial justice by responding yes to each of the following statements. Do you support racial justice, equity, and compassion in, in human relations? Yes. Do you affirm that white privilege is unfair and harmful to those who have it and to those who do not? Yes. Do you affirm that white privilege and the culture of white supremacy must be dismantled wherever it is present? Yes. Do you support racial equity, justice, and liberation for every person? Yes. Do you affirm the inherent worth and dignity of every person? Yes. Therefore, from this day forward, will you strive to understand more deeply the injustice and suffering white privilege and white supremacy cause? Yes. Will you commit to help transform our church culture to one that is actively engaged in seeking racial justice and equity for all, for everyone? Yes. Will you make a greater effort to treat all people with the same respect you expect to receive? Yes. Will you commit to developing the courage to live your beliefs and values of racial justice and equality? Yes. Will you strive to eliminate racial prejudice from your thoughts and actions so that you can better promote the racial justice efforts of our church? Yes. Will you renew and honor this pledge daily, knowing that our church and our community, our nation and our world will be better places because of our efforts? Yes. Let us pray. All right. First of all, that's not a prayer. That's an affirmation of belief. In fact, it's, it's uncomfortably similar to the renewal of baptismal promises that they also do during Mass, usually when there's a baptism. If you're not Catholic, that's the part at the end of The Godfather when Michael Corleone is answering yes to do you renounce Satan and all, his, and all his works and the other questions while his hitmen are executing all the rival mob bosses. Um, this is also a renewal of baptismal promises of sorts, except it's renewing the promises of your baptism into the cult of critical race theory. And what you just saw there rises to the level of really sacrilege with the photo of a violent criminal who forced his way into a woman's house and robbed her at gunpoint right up there on the altar. But even without that, this is BLM Marxist propaganda being spouted by a priest from the altar. And I, you know, I think it's important for us to understand something. Not all of this stuff is empty virtue signaling. A good portion of it is, certainly. That priest, for example, I mean, that's, that's nothing but empty virtue signaling. Uh, I doubt that man is capable of really firmly believing anything at this point. Many of these baby boomer priests in America are just hollow vessels of platitudes and cliches. That's all they've ever been. They've been pastoring churches for decades. Never in their lives have they uttered a single meaningful word from the pulpit, ever, not even once. The church is plagued by these types. So for him, yes, I'm sure it is empty, just like everything else he says and does. But what about the people in, in the chat, you know, they're confessing their racism? Perhaps it's just a gesture, a virtue signal, it could be a cave to peer pressure, or maybe not. I mean, this idea that all white people are racist and that we all must confess our racism and actively work to dismantle it, even though, again, we can't because it's inherent, supposedly. But this is an idea that many people have really bought into. Now, if you're an intellectually susceptible person of a non-white race, it makes sense why you'd buy into it. It provides, as we discussed yesterday, a convenient villain for your story. Uh, making a villain a scapegoat out of some other group, some outgroup, some other, some them. Well, that, that's a coping strategy as old as civilization itself. Nothing new about that. 
nothing confusing about it either. But uh, no matter how intellectually susceptible a white person is, why would they buy into this? I mean, why would people in the group being cast as villains actually accept and embrace that role? What's going on with that? Well, because the priests and priestesses of critical race theory know something that every other cult and religion knows, which is that humans, deep in their souls, struggle fundamentally with two things, resentment and guilt. The resentment and guilt are oftentimes a bit formless and shapeless. You aren't sure why they're there or where to direct them. And so humans go looking for outlets, for answers, for reasons. Why do I feel this way? Where do these feelings come from? These are questions that people, especially these days, spend a lot of time asking themselves. We are very focused on our own feelings in this culture. And depending on where you look, you get different answers. Psychologists will say, well, those feelings are disorders. Here, take this pill. Self-help gurus will say those feelings are illusions. Here are some affirmation mantras you can repeat in the mirror every morning to make them go away. Cults will say that they come from wherever, the aliens living in volcanoes. I think that's Scientology. I may be getting the theology a little bit wrong. Uh, Religions have answers too. Christianity says this is our fallen nature. It can be conquered through Christ. Repent and believe. And critical race theory, the newest religion in America, comes along and says, well, if you're non-white, you have resentment because you're a victim of systemic oppression. If you're white, you have guilt because you are racist. And at some level, you know it. And here is how to assuage your guilt. All you have to do is confess your racism, pledge to be anti-racist, take a knee, raise your fist, do this, do that. Here's the choreography. Here are the prayers, the mantras. Here are the beliefs and opinions you must adopt. This will make you feel better. This will rid you of the guilt. This will explain everything going on inside you. See, I think think all people are are looking for something that will explain themselves to themselves. That's what philosophy is. Uh, That's what much of science is about, psychology, politics. All of it at some level is an attempt by human beings to figure out who they are, what they are, and why they are the way they are. Critical race theory steps in to offer its own rather horrid explanations. And it's not a coincidence that it takes hold in a culture where the other avenues of explanation, the better avenues like religion, are waning. It's also not a coincidence that religion, especially Christianity in the West, started waning when it stopped talking about and acknowledging the darker aspects of human nature. Pastors like the one you just saw there started saying, well, I don't want to talk about guilt because people will be uncomfortable and they'll leave. What they didn't realize is that that's exactly what people want to hear about. They struggle with these parts of themselves. They come to religion for answers. If you refuse to give those answers, they'll go elsewhere for them. Enter critical race theory, the new cult, the new religion, and one that is infecting the minds of many Americans, especially younger Americans, and destroying our country in the process. But today, I have put a stop to that uh, with my cancellation, because that's all it takes. I wave my magical cancel wand, and now sanity has returned. You're welcome. We will leave it there. Now that we've uh, solved society, you know, I, I feel like that's pretty, it's a, that's enough work for one day. So we'll leave it there for today. Have a great day, everybody. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. 
Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, and our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. A Republican ex-senator says Joe Biden is more conservative than President Trump. California Democrats push to legalize pederasty, and the mayor of D.C. wants to demolish the Washington Monument. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.